It was a must-not-lose game for Norwich City, but they lost it. 3-1 to Brentford at an angry and dejected Carroll Road, which leaves the Canaries rock bottom of the Premier League, heading back towards the Championship with 11 games remaining and closing on a fourth top-flight relegation in nine seasons. Welcome to the latest edition of the Pinkin.com Norwich City podcast, which is not going to be a positive one. I think you will not be surprised to hear. Um, We are going to be drilling down into... A pretty miserable time for the football club, but what makes it worse is that it all feels so familiar, as we touched on a little bit after the Southampton game, that feeling of deja vu. So it's not necessarily a crisis right here and now. It is to an extent, but it's not done and dusted yet. It's more that we're an existential crisis, I suppose, for Norwich City, for everyone at the top of the club, for everyone that follows them. Here we go again. Uh, they've uh, looked like they've been caught short and that they're going to be going back to the championship feeling pretty miserable and after this match there's just no sugarcoating is it Uh, I'm alongside Paddy Davitt Connor Southwell Dave Freezer here as usual you know the drill in association with Future Radio 107.8 FM but unfortunately we're we've got a very similar tone to this you know a fourth successive defeat but this one Pad was just particularly painful and felt like salt being rubbed thoroughly into the wounds. Well, I mean, you've hit the nail on the head there, DF. Um, you can't sugarcoat it anymore. Not that we, I don't think, would have at any point, but fundamentally, and it's been graphically illustrated by a team who, as Connor said, on the walk back from the stadium to, to our base here at Prospect Downs, Norwich finished 10 points clear of Brentford and last season, coming out of the Championship and uh, okay, there wasn't a huge amount between the two sides today, but um, but that figure is pertinent because they're now ten points behind Brentford with um, far too few games to pull this round. Fundamentally, it's what we all always probably knew and hoped against hope that that wouldn't be the case. But they're not good enough. They're not good enough at any part of that squad defensively across midfield and attack. And that's not to dig out individuals, but individuals slash collectively they are not Premier League quality and you know it may it well it remains to be seen if it's the if it's the very meek exit of two seasons ago um, which was a campaign played out obviously against the backdrop of the pandemic and the project restart era and there was maybe mitigation um, if Norwich go as as tamely this time around I don't think the fan base will accept that uh, anywhere near as much as they did for those reasons two years ago um, in the intervening period, they've had plenty of time, plenty of effort, plenty of finance, really, within their self-financing model to, to ensure that we wasn't seemingly back here again at the same point two years on. So, as you said, Dave, you know, there's there's people who are at the club way above uh, the players who will need to take a long hard look at themselves. But ultimately, on the pitch, emphasised by today's uh, display, not good enough, haven't been good enough, won't be good enough and will return to the Championship where it, it remains to be seen what comes next because, um, you know, as much as it feels that the yo-yo club, um, there's no guarantees, they come straight back again. So uh, for those reasons, yeah, it, it's uh, it's an uncertain period if, as looks increasingly likely after today's result, the Championship is where they're heading. Indeed. I should just say that I thought I saw a good point post-game from Mick Dennis, who I'm sure you all know, um, former journalist, uh, well-known Norwich fan, pointing out that you know pre-match we had the football stands together, um, sort of, um, how do they describe it, a minute of um, 
uh, unity, I think they described it as, didn't they, where we had the minutes applause and, and show of support for Ukraine and the yellow and blue cards and, and all that awful stuff that's going on over there. And that is a good point, you know, no, it, it feels painful, it feels raw, and we're, all, all the stuff we're going to talk about and that we've already said, um, but ultimately it is a game, Norwich go back to the championship in good financial um, health, they will probably have a very good chance of having another promotion push. We will come back onto those sort of things in the in the second half of the pod in terms of starting to look ahead. Um, but I, I suppose we have to keep it in, in the here and now. And it is worth that wider perspective of uh, as much as it feels grim, um, there are much worse things going on in the world at the moment, as we all know far too well and as we're all pretty upset by and, and sort of trying to get on with life as, as best we can, tinged by the sort of the horror by everything that's unfolding in Eastern Europe. Um, but if we keep it to Norwich City, which is what we're here for, people, you know, want their distraction and their entertainment from, from football. <laughs> Norwich not really holding up their end of the bargain. But for me, the, right now, Connor, the, the thing which really is standing out to me ahead of Chelsea at home on Thursday, you know, European and world champions, and then Leeds on Sunday, who have just, you know, changed their manager and obviously do have players that are, are capable of big performances. I, I think Patrick Bamford was back in their squad today, for instance. If they were to lose those games, um, which you got to say looks possible, very possible now, and then have three weeks without a game and come back with nine games remaining, rock bottom of the Premier League, how have we ended up in basically a repeat position of two years ago and that misery of Project Restart as you know, we were unfortunately in those empty stadiums with everyone watching on from home feeling that pain, it's going to feel utterly bizarre if that's where we're back at. And and I think those three weeks, if they do lose these two games, could be really quite tumultuous and quite angry. Yeah, and, and I'll tell you the thing that, that stands out to me, if they if they lose to Chelsea, with um, what, what would it then be? It would be, what, 10 games left of the season, which is the same as what they had in Project Restart. They'd be on fewer points. And they went into yeah. the, into Project Restart with how how on earth has that happened? How have they gone through the the Championship triumph that they went through, um, building a squad that was supposedly being built geared towards uh, another Premier League survival push? They've spent considerable money by Norwich City standards last summer. Um, we were all told that this was it. They were going to be better prepared. They were going to be more competitive. They were going to be able to stand up to the Premier League test this time. Uh, and I think ultimately we've seen today that that's not going to happen. They they still concede far too many goals. The midfield is still an issue. It was two years ago. It is now. Um, and they don't really look like they can score. Um, and I know Timo Buki obviously got on the score sheet today. Ultimately, they're still far too dependent on him two years on as as they were two years ago to, to produce goals. There's not enough goals throughout the team. Um, and there's a real lack of quality. And and for all the all the talk that maybe we're going to have about the Premier League more generally and uh, and about money and how much money is needed to stay in the Premier League now. Actually, they were playing a side today that, as Paddy said, they were 10 points better off last season. Um, Brentford haven't spent tremendous sums of money by by any stretch uh, and they've assembled a squad that is that was last season, uh, the league table shows, was was not as good as Norwich City's. Uh, and yet this season they're going to stay in the Premier League, um, uh, I think, now. And, and Norwich City aren't. That should that should pose real problems and real questions, I think, to the, to the people that matter. And, um, you know, I, I think if, if Norwich fans are honest with themselves, um, they're probably fed up of being at this point. I mean, uh, I, I've 
I'm 22 now. I think it's as you said, nine Premier League seasons. Norwich have uh, have, have stayed up in 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 two of those in my, in my lifetime. I think um, it's, it's not nine in my lifetime. Is it? A few of those would have been in the 90s, but um, that's quite staggering, really, for a football club of uh, of the size of Norwich City and how often Norwich City have found themselves in the Premier League. And you're right, the conversation is going to shift on what comes next and the Championship, but. Ultimately, there will be some people out there who are just feeling completely exasperated because there's a. It feels like there's kind of a, a, a futility to the way Norwich City are in the top flight. What, what's the point at the moment of Norwich City gearing up for another Premier League charge if this is what, as history seems to suggest, that they're going to come back and and this will happen again and it will be relegation again and it will be defeats at home to to newly promoted teams again. Um, ultimately, the conversation needs to be around how they stop that cycle, and I'm not quite sure that the the argument ends with with money uh, I, I think there are, are more reasons why that hasn't been possible and and people are going to look at recruitment and they're going to look at look at a whole host of things but in in every single department this season Norwich City have not been good enough um even in their even in their bright spots which have been few and far between four wins all season um there was probably the bright spot when Dean Smith initially took over where there was an improvement definitely and there was an improvement again sort of January, I suppose, when, when when they beat Watford and Everton, and you consider the position they got themselves into, where it didn't look beyond the realms that they'd get out of it and they'd they'd be able to stay in the league to get to a position now where, you know, that was the end of January, early February. We're now early March, and uh, it feels like inevitability. I mean, that is um, it, it's a real shame, and you know, some of the questions that are going to be asked, I think we we don't necessarily have the answers to, but this just felt like and actually Adam summed it up uh, and he's not here at the moment but summed it up quite well it felt like Sunderland again um, in what was that 2016 when, when mm. Sam Allardyce's team came and, and beat Norwich 3-0 and um, until they can break this Premier League cycle it's very very difficult to see how anyone will have the energy to go back down to the Championship knowing that this is what awaits because I think the Premier League experience um, it is probably Norwich fans are probably a bit fed up with it and I think the Premier League we've we've heard throughout this season is probably a little bit fed up in Norwich City as well it's um it's probably a divorce that isn't a happy one and uh it's very difficult I think as Paddy said that the yo-yoing tag whilst not always a negative thing it's very it it can be easily um kind of broken um for the wrong reasons it would only take Norwich to get it wrong one year in the championship for 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 that to to disappear so yeah, they're in a difficult position and um, it's really hard to have any, any kind of response or answers to it. It's just it's just a shame, I think. All that nonsense that TalkSport's about it is basically going to get backed up, isn't it? And they're going to be able to crow and I'm sure that they're more attention-hungry reporters on Twitter are going to send out some very knowing tweets along the way, which are just going to wind everyone up and make things even worse. What made things worse for me today, Pat? I don't know if you feel I'm being a bit harsh, but I felt like that was a championship game today in terms of quality. If you compare it to the matches we've seen recently, I know Manchester City and Liverpool are sort of on a different level, but I don't think Brentford were anywhere close to as good as Southampton were. And I actually think Everton were better than Brentford were in in the Carrow Road game as well. Norwich probably caught Watford at a great time. Watford were calamitous that night, weren't they? And, and thankfully, they t- they took advantage of it. But I didn't think Brentford were that good. Norwich gave them a, a, a significant help up. So that almost makes it more painful for me. Well, yeah. I mean, you deconstruct the win. It's a it's a it's a corner and it's uh, two penalties. I mean, that's not a, a team we've had to cut through Norwich with beautiful football. 
which under Frank we've seen in the previous meetings that both the championship games and and even earlier in the season, although Norwich won that game, you know they they do have a fluidity when they're playing well. Um, but obviously, and it's worth reiterating that Brentford team that pitched up at Car Road on Saturday had lost eight of the last nine. There was no confidence. There was no belief. There shouldn't have been any anything to fear from Norwich, and yet. You know the the manner that they capitulated when you know to give them their due. There, there was there was signs that they were just getting themselves maybe into a an ascendant position in that first half. They'd had one or two decent chances, notably the Rashidza miss after two minutes, which was a big 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 miss in the in the context yeah. of that panned out. But to implode effectively from a goal sourced in a manner we've now seen three games running, one of those of the Liverpool FA Cup tie, but a corner they failed to deal with, and there's a player at the back post uh, with far too much time um, to finish. I mean, for that to happen in an era of data saturation and the analysis that goes in at this level, um, again, you know, like we've said, it isn't just the players on the pitch. It's Smith and his coaching staff. It's the backroom staff. It's Stuart Webber and his team. You know, every turn you look at, that football club hasn't performed, hasn't optimised what it has been good at, maybe earlier parts of the Weber slash Farker reign, which was extracting more from the sum of the parts. Right now, this season, you'd say they have, they have, they have the resource to do better than they have done, and that isn't just the football side; that's the whole top to bottom. And, and ultimately, in the Premier League, when you are up against it anyway, in terms of the disparity financially they needed to perform above and beyond, as Sheffield United did maybe two seasons ago, where that club really had no right to stay in the Premier League, yet they did and did it comfortably, because on and off the pitch they got more right than wrong. Palpably, that hasn't happened from Norwich, and that was underlined again graphically in that game to today, that you know they got they got nowhere near the elements that they needed to, to put away a team who, let's be honest, were in a very, very poor vein of form, and that's probably... You know, there's there's water to flow under the bridge, but ultimately, if Brentford stay in the division, that that three points today has probably kept them in it because they were a club going in the wrong direction, and that might just now uh, allow them to get over the line and get the the few probably wins that they need. And that's how high the stakes were today because that could have been Norwich. Norwich win that game; they're four points behind Brentford with a game in hand, and it's all up for them. Then, then they've got you know an eminently winnable game at Leeds if it's off the back of beating Brentford. Chelsea's probably going to be beyond them, whatever the result today. But now it's it's it, well, it's Smith would have to be a motivator of I don't know Mourinho-esque proportions in his prime to to get to get that group of players now believing that they've got enough in the in in them to to pull this around from this situation. I mean, I put it to him after the game. You know, is this is this the worst situation he's been in as a coach? And he reiterated, no, it doesn't. Still doesn't compare to that first season. He, he was in charge at Walsall when, you know, I think they pulled around a a bigger gap in terms of deficit, and they they played more games than the teams around them. But you know, with the greatest respect, that was Walsall. I think that was League One. This is the Premier League. You know, for Norwich to with ten slash eleven games left, um, and the position they're in, the lack of goals they've scored, the goals they're conceding, it's um, you know, well. Not even the most optimistic Norwich fan surely gives them the hope of put, pulling it around from here. And then, if if the inevitable is confirmed, then then there's some big changes need to happen. I think personally, um, and it's not just the football side as well. I, I think there needs to be a reset, and that club needs to go again. They were they were brilliant 
in these three or four years once Weber came in because it was new, it was bold, it was innovative, it was fresh. You know, it it was ahead of the curve. Now they look to slip behind now and, um, you know, certain people need to, to go again. And, and if it's not to happen, then there needs to be a shake-up at all levels of the club because, as we've discussed, you know, by no manner of means are they guaranteed to come straight back if it is the inevitable championship decline. And then if they don't come back immediately... Then we've seen it. Plenty of examples of clubs who just list and and worse. And Norwich have been there themselves. So, you know, these are now, in the context of what happens next. Obviously, it's about can they win enough games to try and pull off the great escape. But I think the realists amongst us, it's can they make the right decisions that they need to now on and off the pitch, um, to to basically reset and go again because it it feels a little bit like an end of era for me. Yeah, it does have that kind of feel, and it'll be really. I mean, we've got so long to chew over the fat over all of this, so I don't, I don't want to go too deep into the future just yet because particularly that three-week break, there's going to be some potentially some serious chuntering to be done then. But if they are back in the Championship next year, I just, I'm struggling to see the motivation from the fans' point of view to be excited about promotion, knowing, you know, there was an element of that even last season, wasn't there? I suppose the behind-closed-doors side of things meant that fans were just excited to get back to games but every there was lots of people saying oh great here we go Premier League again it's nowhere near as much fun you, you can't go and play on the billionaires playground as a millionaire we all know that sort of stuff but anyway let's not get too far ahead of ourselves but just just imagine if they went and beat Chelsea on Thursday night somehow went and pulled out a sort of miraculous result which you know it does happen in the Premier League we've seen it before we saw they beat Manchester City all of a sudden everyone's going to be feeling a little bit silly but you would still be saying to the players and Smith, well, how come you couldn't do that against Brentford when it really mattered? Even if they did go and do it, great. But why couldn't you do that against Chelsea? Before we uh, sort of plough forward, um, we're recording Saturday night, fresh from Carrow Road, walking up the Rowan Road Hill in the cold. And tonight, Connor, when Milot Rashitz is trying to get to sleep, I think he's going to be struggling because that chance, uh, you know, if he puts that away two minutes in, Billy Gilmer did really well for it, it should be said. And Kenny McLean involved as well for all the criticism they'll get. They're sort of the scapegoats now, aren't they? And, and we'll come back round to that. But Gilmore does well and Rashitza should definitely, definitely score, shouldn't he? Yeah, story in Origin season. Sergeant Brighton, Lise Malou, Newcastle, uh, Rupp, Wolves. We, we could list several more. It's just in in the moments that matter, they don't have the quality to, to, to win football matches. And at this level, when games are so marginal and they hinge so much on um, taking opportunities and being clinical, uh, they just they just don't have it. And uh, I think we've we've got enough evidence now over the over the course of the campaign to see that because actually, if even if they convert two of those chances, they they probably have six more points on the board than than they do at this moment in time. So it's um, yeah, it's it, it's where they are at the moment, and uh, and actually, I, f- I felt, you know, if they do score that, and you know, I spoke to Tim Crawl afterwards, and and he maybe felt the same. A, it's a completely different game, but B, then it, it completely shifts. I think how the fans feel about it, and and the energy in the stadium. Brentford then have to come and attack Norwich. Norwich have something to hold on to. They can maybe play on the counter, which I think, you know, you look at this team and uh, and they're much more suited to doing that rather than looking to break down a side like they they tried to do against Brentford in, in the first half. And, um, you know, I think, it, to be honest, I think if they score that, they win the game. And uh, and that's 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 maybe how I feel about it. Um, 
Yeah, he's got to do better, hasn't he? I mean, it's it, it's he's one on one, and it's not even like we're sat here going, "Oh, didn't David Rea pull off a, a magnificent save?" It was it was it was fairly comfortable for him actually, and it was a a poor finish um, from a player who, in recent months, has shown real promise and, and given Norwich a, a reason to believe. So, yeah, he's he's going to rue that one. Um, I think Sargent will, will probably rue the one he missed as well. Be I think it was a slightly difficult chance because the ball was was behind him but um yeah that was what two minutes on the clock if they score that it's it's a completely different game and a completely different dynamic so yeah it's it's one to file with the uh the four or five other guilt-edged opportunities that they've missed in games this season which probably would have meant that they'd have more points on the board and uh, and who knows if they score if Sargent scores against Brighton uh, they'd probably win that game um they certainly do on on the evidence of the scoreline Lise Malou scores at Newcastle well, that's already six points that would that would push them significantly up the table so those are the margins that either keep you in the Premier League or um, they mean that you, you fall back to the Championship Norwich have, uh, have missed too many of them they don't have the quality and that's ultimately why we're having the discussion we're having about uh, a return to the Championship I'm afraid Yeah I mean the stats emphasise that a bit further 60% of possession 15 shots 7 on target to 10 for Brentford and 6 on target so it was an open game a lot of uh, it was an action packed game but Norwich had those chances in the first half. You know, Pukki had that low shot saved at the near post by Raya after a sort of flick on in the air from from McLean. In the second half, obviously the the Rashitsa goal that's disallowed, the the Sam Byram header that's tipped over. They they did have opportunities, um, but the, I mean VAR has been a big talking point as well, hasn't it, Pad? And obviously you spoke to Dean Smith about this after the game. I have to say, I, I, it's frustrating, and I, I understand why people are angry with it and the long waits to get to the right decisions and stuff, but. I have to say, I think generally the right decisions have, have been come to. Both the the two goals that are disallowed, Pukis one for Norwich and Bermo for Brentford, they, they were both offside in, in the build-up. I didn't think it was a penalty on Williams um, from a Norwich point of view. And both penalties, OK, maybe the second one is, is a little bit harsh. The first one, you can't really have your foot up above waist height and it lands on someone's face and neck. That's always going to get given, isn't it, when a ref goes to look at it on a screen. And the third one, you know, he shouldn't be going off his feet like that and diving in. He didn't really need to either. It wasn't like Tony was going to score from from the position he was in. So, yeah, what did what did you make of what Dean Smith's assess, assessment of was? And and do you think there's maybe a bit more uh, blaming of VAR than than needs to be? I saw Darren Huckabee actually talk, uh, tweet uh, tweeted after the game saying, "Don't blame VAR. We just weren't good enough." Well, I think. Hawks are sitting there on the head. Yeah, that's that is it. And to give Dean Smith his due. Post match, he did he didn't you know hide away from the culpability of his own players. I mean, Brandon Williams, the first goal they scored, said he didn't defend the back post as he should have done. You know, to allow Tony that volley um, to open the score and Gibson both times. Yeah, um, needless decisions given to the officials, and they're, they're always going as you rightly say. They're always going in the current. Era we we're operating in now, they're always going to be penalties, and uh, the the only one he took issue with was you know he he did feel uh, now he didn't he didn't sort of say whether he'd watched the incident back and Wemo on on Williams early in the second half the sh- as he felt was a shove inside the box, um, so he didn't clarify if he'd actually watched it back and was still of the same opinion, but he was in no doubt that having seen it during the game he felt that was a penalty. I mean he talked about um, it'll be it'll be packaged as a subjective decision rather than clear and obvious but I'm this is Dean Smith I don't know what those terms mean now he's he's he feels like a man who's probably felt he's had the 
the thin end of the wedge with VAR, and I'm sure that doesn't just relate to his time at Norwich. I'm sure there's a few calls that have gone the other way, but then most of the managers and head coaches will probably have similar hard look stories. I mean, he did reveal that he'd been in a meeting with Mike Riley earlier this week, the referees are, and they quoted 98% of the VAR decisions have been proven to be right, but, quote, I don't see that if you're Dean Smith. So I think, you know, ultimately, as we've stitched together in terms of the, the chronology of, of this game. If Rashica scores two minutes in, it's a different game. So he's probably looking at it and thinking, well, if that's given uh, for, for the foul on Williams early in the second half, Pookie slots the penalty, it's 1-1. It's a different game. Those two other penalties that we, we later talk about don't happen. So, you know, but ultimately, you know, you could you could go disappear down a hole trying to sort of piece together the hypotheticals of what didn't happen and what could have happened. The reality is, yeah, I, I'd be inclined to agree. I don't think there was enough there for it to be deemed if that's what Anthony Taylor the referee felt and it wasn't a penalty on the pitch I don't think there's enough there for the VAR officials at Stockley Park to ask him to overrule his decision so in terms of the Williams and the Buemo uh, one so I think probably Dean Smith will arrive at the same conclusion in the fullness of time he's obviously very sore still immediately after the game and, and while not absolving his own players from what they didn't do um, maybe felt they also got the thin end of the wedge from some of the officiating. But he did also say that he would look at himself, you know, he would, the players will be all in on Sunday morning and um, he will talk at more depth uh, about that uh, and what's gone on. But he, he did pretty much say that he'll be spending this evening examining his own decisions. Did he make the right calls in terms of selection? Um, his in-game changes. So, you know, by no manner of means is he shoving this onto the players. This is a, this is a collective... Um, lack of what was required to get Norwich a result today and then that starts with him he's ultimately the man who, who picks the team and sets the team up sends them out with instructions and you know you lose a game to a team around you 3-1 at home whatever the elements that, that ultimately lead up to that scoreline and whether they're in your control directly or not then I think you know you have to be honest and say we weren't good enough I wasn't good enough as Dean Smith Craig Shakespeare wasn't good enough those players weren't good enough and ultimately as we're discussing at length, Norwich aren't good enough. That segues nicely into how I was going to divert this to, back to Connor, really. In terms of that selection, there was only two changes from the League 11. So Tim Krull comes back in in goal, Sam Byron comes in at right back, which has been something that seemed sort of on the to be bubbling away for a few weeks. And Byron got that call. And it was about, as we expected, really, that maybe for a team battling relegation, he sometimes seems better suited. He put his foot in defensively, was quite good. He wasn't really to blame for the defeat but he doesn't offer as much going forward as Max, although he, he, he tried. But he did almost, almost score as well, didn't he, with that header, which was a very good save from, from Raya. And he's got that... Uh, he's got quite an odd knack of winning headers, isn't he? He just seems to read the um, the sort of aerial duels very well. Um, but anyway, at half-time, it's 1-0. By the time it's 3-0 in the 58th minute, we still haven't had an Norwich substitution. And it's not until... The 74th minute, just after uh, the Rashitsa goal had been disallowed, that um, Smith finally makes a change and brings John Rowe on for Billy Gilmore. Uh, two minutes later, Brentford had their goal disallowed uh, eventually, so it escaped being 4-0. The other changes then came in the 82nd minute, so that's Aarons and Lisa Malou on for Williams and Norman. So Byron moved to left back. And Rowe and Lisa Malou in particular both did show quite a bit. Rowe sets up the, the Pookie goal in injury time and there were positive elements but for me that's tempered quite a bit. I don't know if you agree Connor but it's tempered quite a bit by the fact that I felt Brentford were 
sitting in then and were trying to control the game. But in general, what, what did you make of that sort of game game management and things? Because it, it felt like the changes came too late. Yeah, it did. I, I have a little bit of sympathy for, for Smith, to be honest. I mean, I've, we've got a team sheet in, in front of us here. I'm, I'm looking at the Norwich City subs bench and I have to be brutally honest, I'm, I'm looking at players and I, I'm thinking, do any of those have the ability to, to turn a Premier League game on its head? Mm. I, I don't know if they do. I mean, you're bringing on Pierre-Lise Malou instead of Kenny McLean. It's it's a little bit, no disrespect to either of those players, it's it's just a bit of a... Uh, a bit of a muchness, I suppose. Uh, the fact, and, and it always happens, I think, when it, when a team is going down, it certainly seems to happen on a few occasions for Norwich. You get a, a young lad who um, who seems to come from nowhere and puts in some some pretty promising performances. And, uh, you know, I remember Josh Murphy doing it. Uh, was it Josh or Jacob Murphy? Yeah, it was Josh. Josh, yeah, he, he did it, didn't he? Uh, it was I think Ad- he made his debut when they were 4-0 down at Old Trafford, didn't Yeah, <laughs> exactly, yeah. I remember Adam Eder and, and Josh Martin in, in Project Restart. Uh, and I think John Rose are a real talent. And, you know, you said it on the walk-up. It, it, takes, real, uh, it takes real guts, I think, to, yeah. to come on to a Premier League game where your team is 3-0 down and to show the energy, endeavour, willingness to make something happen that he did but uh, yeah I have to be honest I, I felt that um, Dean Smith was was thinking who do, who do I bring on that can that can affect the game positively because um, we've not seen too much from, from Kieran Dow this year I think Shemeswav Poeta likewise um, you know Lise Malou I think uh, as you said he, he, was, he was positive when he came on but I don't feel that he's a massive upgrade on, on what Norwich City had in, in central midfield to start with. Yanoulis is, you know, in a, in a game where Norwich City were 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 forced to defend counter attacks. Um, I, I just don't, I just don't think defensively he's where Norwich City need him to be. And then you've got John Rowe, who is, who's eighteen. I mean, that's that's a difficult position I think for a head coach to be in and uh, to try and make decisions to plot your way out of what is a very difficult situation I, I just don't see the quality um, on that bench capable of doing that uh, when, when you consider some benches that, that Premier League teams have and I think ultimately that is probably where, where Dean Smith has arrived at because you know plenty of people are asking why is it Billy Gilmore why is it Kenny McLean why is it X why is it Z week in week out I think ultimately that's just where Norwich City are in terms of the quality of the squad uh, we've said that you know, on on this podcast, you know, so it's not a revelation that they're not good enough, and um, ultimately the quality of their squad at this moment in time for where they are um, isn't good enough. And you know, I think yeah, trying to think now, looking down that Norwich City team, how many of those do you think get gets in a mid-ranking Premier League team? Matthias Norman, maybe Tim Krul, maybe Simon Puki, maybe Milo Rashica, maybe beyond yeah. that. I don't see too many, to be completely honest. And uh, that's the difficulty Dean Smith has as a coach when he's trying to affect a game. It's very difficult to affect the game if you maybe don't have the options to do that. Yeah, that's well summed up. And and Lucas Rupp, obviously, uh, wasn't involved, which is a shame for him because he was so bright at, at Liverpool. But his hamstring really doesn't seem great, does it? And apparently it was it was sore again. He's he's had persistent problems with hamstrings since he, the whole time he's been at Norwich, hasn't he? And... Maybe it was just how hard he hit that ball as he uh, scored at Liverpool, because <laughs> uh, he really did smash that into the bottom corner. Then it? it was a, it was a lovely strike from him, and, and that was a shame because that energy really 
would have been needed. And if he was fit, I dare say he would have been starting ahead of Gilmore. Um, so that was unfortunate. Um, Andrew Omabamadeli, you know, he's now in the, in a corset, as uh, Dean Smith revealed at the pre-match press conference. So that is that is quite worrying, isn't it? A stress fracture in the back. And he talked about the fact that he's still growing and he is a big lad in, anyway, isn't he? So obviously any problems with the back is always a bit of a concern. But for a, for a centre-back, that is not good at all. But he is somebody that they certainly will want to be building around for the future. Likewise with Adam Eder, they need to get that knee right, make sure he's ready to hit the ground running for, for next season and to build on those those bright sparks. But he's he's ruled out of things as as well at the moment. And yeah, it's um it's a really interesting time of things. And Thursday night, it's going to be very interesting to see what the crowd is like because quite a lot of people had left before uh, the eight minutes of injury time had even started today. Um, I wouldn't say the, the boos were resounding because it was just more um, sort of a resigned atmosphere. It was... it. Was, there were boos, but it wasn't like there were people trying to get on the pitch. There weren't people chucking season tickets in the face of the manager, as we've seen before. And there was some chance of uh, sack the board, wasn't there? Uh, after the, what was that, second or third goal? Uh, third, from, I think. Yeah. Third goal from the snake pit. Um, but they didn't really take off too much, did they? That They sort of tried to get that going. So, you know, Thursday night, Norwich had been hard done by by that game, obviously. Um, the way that the Premier League rescheduled that at short notice because Chelsea got through in the FA Cup. A Thursday night home game between two massive games for them. It's a really, really harsh blow on Norwich, and I'm not really sure how Dean Smith will will play it. It's not like he's got the players to put out a reserve team to protect the strongest first eleven for for Sunday at Leeds. He's just going to have to go for it, isn't he? Because <laughs> there aren't enough games left to to just write off a game. He's got to try and find a way to beat Chelsea. That's that's the only way they can do it, isn't it? One game at a time, try and pull off the unexpected, but. Pad, if it if it gets really bad, I'm now thinking Huddersfield and Jan Siever and all that sort of stuff. After he came in, succeeded David Wagner, it, it, that was a horrid relegation for them, wasn't it? I, I don't think at any point I've, my mind has ever strayed towards the fact that Dean Smith might not be in charge of Norwich City in the Championship next season. But if it really was to end in a in a very grim way this season, then it's got to be a possibility, isn't it? Well, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um... Because will he feel, you know, maybe some of the hopes or expectations he had coming into the job, or maybe some of the assurances, if they're not there and in place, then, you know, does he does he want does he want the slog in the championship? So, yeah, of course, you can't say definitively Dean Smith would be the manager on the first day of the championship season. And also, I'd throw in there that, you know, it, even if they were to go down, I'm not sure that would taint his his coaching CV to the extent where he wouldn't still be linked with. I don't know clubs lower end, middle end of the of the Premier League because he does have on his coaching CV, you know, a season where he kept a team in the division in Aston Villa, and then I think they finished tenth or eleventh following season, you know, prior to this season. So he can build something. He's shown that before. Um, so I don't think his stock would take a, a massive hit. You know, ultimately, what has he done? He's come in in November and inherited a group of players. They're not his players. He didn't buy any of these players. He didn't go again in January, as we know. There was no. Uh, revisions to that squad or additions so these are essentially Daniel Farker's players Stuart Webber's players that he is dealing with and okay yep as a, as a head coach who would feel he could extract more from the resource this point of the season that isn't the case but no I, I, I would I would hope that he does get those assurances that he is able to put firmly his 
stamp on this group of players because I think there's a major churn needed now. You cannot have a group of players with two essentially um, failures at Premier League level because fundamentally what that tells you is they're not Premier League players, they're not good enough. If you've gone up once and come down, fair enough, but to have gone up, to, and particularly in the fashion, it looks like they're going to follow again two campaigns that list and tail off and, and they're so far adrift of what's required. So he needs to refresh it massively. It isn't just about putting together a squad who can come back out. It's can they come back out of the Championship and then actually have a proper go in the Premier League. So if that is the case, then I would be pretty confident because he, there's no doubt about it, he is a very, very good head coach. Um, he's proven that. I mean, you know, the fact that he's never been relegated, um, he's not he's not had the top-end clubs as well, Villa, Walsall, Brentford. Um he is a very good coach and he's got a good man alongside him in Shakespeare. I think he's very well respected. Um, so if if those two were at the helm, I'd be pretty confident Norwich will come back, um, ideally at the first attempt. But for me, it's the external elements. It's will he have the backing, will he have the support to do what he needs to do this summer? You know, if his hands are going to be tied behind his back, then, you know, that then maybe he feels that's not a challenge he wants to take on. So goes back to what I said earlier. You know, it isn't just about Dean Smith and that group of players. It's the whole club. There needs to be, you know, some realism and, and some openness and some transparency, which there has been this far, this far under under Weber. Um, and and they need to accept that what they've done isn't good enough on and off the pitch to try and sustain this club in the Premier League. Okay, at the back of this is always the debate about, well, is it really about the model and the restrictions of the model and that they're fundamentally a self-finance model to the almost ethical zeal that Norwich carry that out? It isn't going to keep you in the Premier League. It might simply be that is the case and that is the conclusion. And if that's the case, then it doesn't really matter what Weber or Smith or how creative they are as recruitment people. Um, it won't fundamentally be good enough. But I just feel, as most Norwich fans probably do, that that the errors have been made even within this model that you know if they hadn't happened they'd certainly be far closer to what's required to stay in the division and then if you stay in for one season we've seen it before who knows you get that tranche of Premier League money Dean Smith drew a parallel with Villa when he kept them up on the final day of the project restart period and he said then we had a group of players there who knew what it took to stay in the Premier League and we only had going into that summer had to add I think he said two or three which added the quality raised the quality threshold. It wasn't a major revamp because they had a group of players then who were Premier League players. They weren't newly promoted Championship players who hadn't proven they could stay in it. And he obviously clearly hoped that that would be the situation at Norwich. That going into maybe a summer where he's kept them up by hook or by crook, you just have to add to it. That that doesn't look like it's going to be the case. So therefore, if it is major surgery, which it feels like it needs to be, um, he needs to be backed and he needs to be allowed to carry that out. Um, whatever that looks like, because I think if he's allowed to do that, he will have Norwich in a far healthier space moving forward. Yeah, I would certainly hope that he is still here next year and, and Shakespeare as well, because I don't think Norwich are going to appoint anybody or, or many other people, maybe other than bringing Daniel Farker back, <laughs> who are going to um, have the kind of uh, CV uh, available to them to engineer a championship promotion. And 
I think he's ideally placed for it. And my mind goes back to the game at Huddersfield, first day of last season, where you know you're going into a new season. It's still behind closed doors. You don't know what there is to hold. Adam Eder scores a, a late winner or 86 minute on the, on the opening day. Bang, away you go. They start building confidence. They start grinding out wins, and eventually they end up winning the the championship title in style. And they 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 got there in the end. And very quickly, the Premier League nightmare sort of gets pushed to the back of the mind and everybody moves on and starts enjoying the championship again. And I think today illustrated the the stark, stark difference in level. You know, the championship is a very good standard of football. The Premier League is the best in the world. The gap is just huge. Pookie and Tony were the two top scorers in the championship last season. Both scored what? Or Tony scored 30-odd and Pookie 26 or 7 last season. This season, they both started today with six goals to their name in the league. All right, Tony's gone and got himself a hatchet today to boost his numbers. Pookie's got one as well. But that shows you the step up in quality is absolutely massive. You know, the, the championship is is closer to probably the Bundesliga and, and Serie A than it is to the Premier League. It is a very, very competitive league. And for me, I've banged this drum a bit in the past that... It's, it's all well and good getting promoted in style and in fashion and swashbuckling style and Farker ball and playing lovely football. But it doesn't translate to the Premier League. We've got hard evidence now twice that Farker ball in particular does not translate to the Premier League. It feels to me like if Norwich are ever to crack it, if they're going to stick with a self-funding model or whatever, that's a wider debate for another day that we will certainly have and we've got plenty of time to have it. If you're going to get promoted as a self-funded club and all these things that you've just said there, Pat, about being creative and nailing the recruitment and stuff, you've got to go up with a squad that are defensively strong, they are organised, have a defined style and they are physically and athletically noticeably strong. Because when you go up to the Premier League, it's not just about the quality, it's not about the sharpness of mind, it's the physicality, the elite fitness of the players in the Premier League it is a huge step, and Norwich, once again, don't look like they've been able to handle that. We live Norwich City. The build-up. The passion. The drama. The last-minute winners. The debate. That's why we've created Pink and Plus. The app that takes you beyond the headlines. With exclusive columns, blogs, podcasts and videos, we've got you covered. Subscribe today. Pink and Plus. Stay ahead of the game. Download now on the App Store and on Google Play. Also, of course, Connor, Stuart Webber is going to be a massive part of this conversation. I've seen plenty of ire directed in his direction during today's game, after the, de- the game. The recruitment is going to fall on him. He knows full well that there's a lot of pressure on his shoulders now. We heard him at the AGM say that he would stay on this sort of rolling contract. That he w- And he's always said that he doesn't want to leave Delia and Michael in the lurch, that he wants to leave the club in a better place than he found it. But he also said that his next job won't be in football. So he's almost left himself in a bit of a paradoxical position, isn't he? And it's going to be very interesting to see how he deals with this because we all know he's spoken about how dark it is, relegation. What was the line he used about um, success has a, a thousand fathers, but um, failure is an orphan. I think it was a similar phrase to that. He's spoken about how dark it is. There is going to be a lot of 
um, attention on his position now as well and what he does and what he says. Yeah, uh, and I think I think the question that will probably be front and centre of his mind is, do I have the energy to do this again? Mm. Um, you know, he's he's done. You know, for as much as as you could look at this season in isolation, if you if you take his uh, the era of which he's overseen the club, the sporting side of the club, he's done more in that four five period five year period, both in terms of recruitment. Um, you know, this is probably the third. Uh, squad of his if you look at the uh, the way it's been churned um, in terms of developing the training ground and um, building that bridge between the academy to the first team there's a lot of, of, of clear success there the the big one that's missing off his CV is obviously not building a, a team that can stay in the Premier League and of course he never got that chance with Huddersfield either so we don't know what that would have looked like um, and I think Paddy's right. It does feel a little bit end of era. I don't know if that's if that's with him. I don't know if that's with the way Norwich are, are currently deciding to operate. I don't know if that's the squad. I don't know if that's the heat at the moment thing. But it does have that feeling. It's it's had that feeling probably probably beyond maybe four games um, this season, it, which are obviously the the wins. It's felt a little bit like that. It, you know, they they say don't they? It's um, the first sign of madness is is trying to do uh, the same thing and expecting a different result and. You know that's it's going to be really interesting. I think to see how they approach it because there are going to be things this summer that they need to resolve, um, uh, and you know, all this uncertainty around his position, I don't think is is going to help matters because, as Paddy says, there has to be, in my view, uh, uh, and I would agree with him completely. I think there does have to be a big churn to the squad, and there are going to be now decisions that need to be taken uh, for Norwich City in the long term, and that might not mean that might mean that next season isn't one where they absolutely guarantee themselves that they come back I'm sure that will be the message and I'm sure that will be the aim but with the championship you, you can never be sure and uh, and if he is taking those decisions um, but he's not going to be the man who oversees it for the long term then uh, you know as as Pearl we, we kind of spoke um, when he hadn't signed his contract and he was making a head coach decision then that is very difficult um, to me and I can only speak from the outside and you know from our chats with him this season which is the only touch points we've got so with a huge caveat that we obviously don't see him every day and we don't talk to him every day. I must admit, I don't get the same feeling that I got two, three years ago, which was a real man who was really energetic to um, build up a football club and someone who had a clear vision of where a club was going to go and where and how they were going to get there and how he was going to deliver that. You know, all this talk about the next job being outside football and, uh, and whatnot. Um, don't know. Maybe maybe it's maybe it's just me reading between the lines too much. But I don't sense a man who's maybe got the same energy, and I'm sure he'll tell me he has. But uh, I don't get that that feeling. Um, and it's going to be interesting to see whether he does uh, as well, because ultimately, for all the talk of you know the fans and and stuff, there are going to be players who are going to be asking the same question: Can I do this again? Can I drop down to the Championship? Can I try and uh, and get Norwich City back to to the Premier League? Um, he will be asking. He will be asking the same question. I'm sure he's done it twice now. Um, do you have the same energy, the same vigour, the same willingness to go again? If, as he said, his next job is outside football and, you know, I think maybe that there's a bit of disillusion with the football industry as a whole, which is understandable, I think, when, when you kind of get close to it. So, yeah, I think I think his position in particular and him uh, and how he views this current situation, you said the hurt of relegation before, it's, it's going to be really interesting. But it feels like it's um, unlike last time where it maybe felt like it was going to be continuity and they were going to build on what they had and it was going to be about coming back better. This time does feel like it's going to be a bit more of a post-mortem and it's going to be a bit more of change because clearly 
what they've what they've done this season hasn't worked and uh if you're a person in a position of power ultimately the buck stops with you and and he set the standards at the start of the season talking about how much stronger this team was um how this was a team geared towards staying in the premier league how they bought players who they felt could make an instant impact at this level ultimately none of those things have happened and you know, you uh, you live by your words and you you die by your words as someone in uh, in in a senior role in any organisation, and I'm sure he'll be no different this summer. Yeah, he knows full well he's going to have to ride out a storm now, doesn't he? That he's going to get a lot of flack, but he's got to make the right decision for himself for the club. He's got to judge whether he is in the right place to to lead the fight back because I think uh, for all the all the angst that there will be and all the negativity that's going to come his way. Ultimately, how many other sporting directors have got two championship titles on their CV? If he can, if he is good to go for it, and he can take everything that he's learned and get them back towards another promotion, and then get another one on his CV, and then even if that is the point where he says, "Right, I've done it again. It's been a great stint, but it's th- that's me done. I'm handing on to another sporting director now to have their crack at the Premier League. I've set you up as best as I can. I've loved it." but I'm done, I've got to go, then fine, fair enough. If that's this summer, fine, then he's got to make that that judgment, hasn't he? But um, we shall see. Let's just finish on, Pad, that with a very quick look ahead to Chelsea and really just on John Rowe, I suppose. And, and could you start him against the European and world champions? Because it, it felt like a big ask of him to come on in that game today that... That could have gone back. That could have gone badly, couldn't it? That you know, you chuck him in there, and uh, fair play to the lad. He's really shown character by the way that he uh, almost took the ball by the horns, and and still was able to show a bit of promise and things like that. But I, I'm sure I'm not the only one that was surprised that we didn't see the four four two sooner today. Going with a four four two against Chelsea is probably a very different thing. But yeah, where where do you sort of see things, and do you think it's more likely we'll see him start against Leeds, perhaps? It's a difficult one now, yeah, because. You don't want to expose him to, you know, top top elite level players, and and his confidence gets gets knocked. Um, but then the flip side is you saw you saw how he did inject some much needed energy, um, and and as a fan base, you know, if this is is tapering off to where we think it's going to go, that's the most visible sign of how you can offer some hope on the horizon by by blooding those sort of players. And as Connor's pointed out, he's a it's a well-worn tactic we've seen down the years with Norwich as well, not just Norwich, plenty of other clubs. That you know, here's 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 one of the elements that will help us turn the page and have a fresh start if it is to be that uh, in the championship. So I don't know. It's a it's a delicate one for Thursday, Chelsea. Um, but Leeds, I think, wouldn't be the worst shout because clearly you know that is a team who are, are on the wrong end of a, of a curve at the minute, even though they've changed the manager. Um, the expectation and the pressure will be on them at Ellen Road and if he had the freedom just to go and express himself given uh, as we've talked about also you know I think Norwich are better on, as a, in terms of a counter-attacking threat he's got that pace uh, he's, he's got that ability to, to commit defenders and, and he's also got that ability to score if you look at what he's done at development level and of course you know he has to step it up now to a completely different level but he has all the attributes that you think in a in a game where Norwich might have to basically um, raid on the counter at Ellen Road because you would think Leeds would want to dominate possession and territory. Um, that might be a better environment than, with the greatest respect, you know Chelsea are probably going to... Uh, you'll probably need two balls on the pitch that night because I think Chelsea are going to be very loath to let Norwich have too much of it. So 
what really is he going to gain from that game for me um, that he might gain from Leeds, which is a far more uh, forgiving environment, I think, than than put, pitching him in against you know top top quality. Um, I think I'd probably err on the side of protecting him a little bit. But but what undoubtedly we need to see now between now and the end of the season is is more and more exposure because he looks like a player who temperamentally can handle it. You know, Dean Smith throws him on there at Anfield midweek um, and he was fearless. You know, he's attacking James Milner. He's pulling saves out of Allison. Um, there was no, what am I doing here? I'm I'm dazzled by um, playing on the same pitch as these players in that type of environment. So that tells you that his character and his temperament are there and the talent is there as well. So, as Dean Smith says, you just have to keep working, keep learning and the sky's the limit. So, yeah, I probably would, wouldn't expose him uh, for, for Chelsea from the start, but but Leeds onwards definitely get him in the side. He got Roeslev booked as well, didn't he? And he stood up to Umbermo when he was wasting time. And I, I just think there's something about him that's got he's got a bit of an edge, and he just seems to be very single-minded in terms of um, he wants to set up a goal, or he wants to get in on goal. He just seems to seems to have something that's uh, that could be really interesting for the future. Uh, we shall continue all the build-up, of course, ahead of that game, and it goes without saying, all of us. Here, everyone associated with Norwich City, everybody listening to this now, that we all hope we're wrong. We all hope that they go and win both of these games. And then that three-week break, instead of being uh, purgatory, is excitement about... Is paradise <laughs> about nine games of the great escape and, and a totally different narrative. But we sit here today after they've lost 3-1 to, at home to a team who didn't look that good who were also promoted with them, who were in awful form. They've scored 16 goals in 15 games. They've only won, uh, sorry, 16 goals in 27 games and only won four. It's very difficult to sit here and preach positivity and about how the great escape is on and that they could pull off a miracle because we just haven't got the evidence to play with. So I hope that you found that a bit cathartic at the very least. Um, Hopefully it probably has lifted it all a little bit for us now that we've got things off our chests. And we will, I suppose, go into that Chelsea game with with a little bit of hope. And you just hope to see lightning strike, don't you? And hope for a special night at Carrow Road because, my God, is it needed. <laughs> um, I'll leave it there. Thank you very much for listening. Pink and Plus, of course, is the place to go. If you're not already subscribed, one ninety nine a month. First 30 days for free. We'll have all the analysis, all the reaction, all the opinion, everything that you need to analyse every angle of what's going on at Norwich City now and moving into the future. But for now, thank you very much for listening and we'll catch up with you soon.